I'm here this morning too. And uh, actually, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Go to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And uh, as Donnie mentioned, you have message notes, a connection card, and an offering envelope in your uh, bulletin. So take those out. And uh, today's message is called Jesus Heals My Sickness. And and I want to give you the big idea on this message before we just jump into it. So I want to prepare you just a little bit. Jesus is still in the miracle working business. And your response is like you don't believe me. But Jesus is still in the miracle working business. I had a conversation with my, my dad on, on Friday. I, I was away some of the week last week at, uh, at my coaching network uh, down in Orlando, Florida, which sounds awesome, doesn't it? We, we were at a really cool place, but, but I'm in a, um, a hotel meeting space for two whole days. So it sounds cool to be in Orlando, but we could have been in nowhere North Carolina or nowhere Iowa, and it would have been about the same. But when I got home, I talked to my dad on Friday, and he was asking me about my friend Nelson. You guys have heard me mention him before. Nelson is one of my best friends. He has stage four colon cancer. He had to have some radiation treatments this past week to prepare for a surgery that he's having on Tuesday, which is a major surgery, and uh, I would appreciate you keeping him in your prayers. In fact, at the end of the service, we're going to pray for him and, and, and others. But uh, my, my dad was asking about him, and, and I was kind of being real with my dad on the phone because, you know, my dad really kind of wants to know some of the details, and uh, he could tell that I, I'm, I'm worried about the surgery, I'm worried about how things are going to go. I mean, it's stage four colon cancer. The survival rate is not great. And my dad, who is not a preacher, and if you knew my dad better, you would kind of chuckle at that a little bit. But my dad is not a preacher. Thank you. Uh, but he said, Jimmy, you just have to remember that Jesus is still in the miracle working business. And that's true. And I want you to know that. So the, the question you might be thinking back at me is that if Jesus is still a miracle-working God, then why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see more supernatural things in our lives? And I'm just going to tell you flat out, I think the reason is that many of us do not live miracle-abled lives. Many of us do not live lives that God can or will bless, but we can change that. We can change that. And our focus this morning is on preparing our lives for miracles. It's learning how to position ourselves so that we can see the supernatural Even healings. The story we're going to look at today is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And it's a phenomenal story. I want to just dive right in. It's John chapter 9 verses 1 through 11. As he, and he here is Jesus. So as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And John is awesome about giving us details. See, he wants to let us know that 
this man didn't just get kicked in the head by a horse and now he's gone blind. He, he didn't get sick, you know, in his 20s with some sort of virus that caused him to go blind. That This man is blind and he's been blind from birth. So from the very beginning. And it also lets you know that this is going to be a man in the community that people are familiar with. They know who the, the physically handicapped people are. They know who the special needs people are, namely because they are the beggars in the community. A person like this blind man, their only profession was basically to beg. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, listen, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. We'll come back to that later, but just hold that on the back burner of your mind. Lord, who, who sinned here? Did the man sin? Well, he's been blind since birth, so it probably wasn't his sin. But, but what did his parents do that they would deserve to have a blind child? Now, that's not the way we think today, but that's the way they were thinking back then. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever thought about that? That your shortcomings, your, your sufferings, your circumstances might be all for the purpose of God showing his great works in you. Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, a.k.a. spit, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. It's a miracle. His neighbors and those who formerly seen uh, the, the man begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit along and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am he. I, I, I'm the guy. I'm the man. I, I'm blind Bartimaeus or whatever this guy's name is. I, I, I am that guy. How then are your eyes opened, they asked. How is it that you can see? He replied, the man they called Jesus. And when he said this, when he just threw out the name Jesus, the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, they just cringed. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Pretty amazing, isn't it? But it's not just meant to impress us. It's meant to teach us. And there are a lot of lessons that we could unpack here. But I want to give you three lessons that I believe can help us to position our lives in such a way that the Lord can do something supernatural in our lives. Even heal us. Does this sound like a message worth hearing? All right, then take out your message notes and jot some things down. Here's lesson number one. Obey Jesus even when you don't understand. 
We could just camp out right here. We almost could just stop right here. And some of you are thinking, well, why don't you just stop, Jimmy? But you have to obey Jesus even when you don't understand. In other words, do what Jesus says even if it doesn't seem to make sense or even if you can't see how it all might work out. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now let me ask you a question. Does this freak out anybody other than me? Because this just seems a little odd, if not weird. I, I get kind of freaked out shaking hands with people during cold and flu season. But, but a guy spitting in the ground, making little mud cakes, put them in my eyes, that just messes with me. It's, it seems a little bit gross. And then the second part of this seems weird too. Jesus then told him to go to a certain pool and wash his eyes out. So, so think about what we have here. We have spit, dirt, and, and water. How can you make a miracle out of those things? I mean, when you put those ingredients together, how in the world is this going to work out? And I believe that the reason that many of us never experience supernatural miracles, including healing, is because rather than just obeying Jesus, even when we don't see how things could work out, Instead of doing things his way, we just default to what makes sense in our own lives. We just default to what we've grown accustomed to, what we think will work. But I want to make sure that you understand what's going on here. This man's healing began with his obedience. And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I don't see how this is going to work. But he did it anyway. And that's what made the difference. He was obedient even though he didn't understand what Jesus was going to do. He was obedient even though he didn't see how any of this could work out. The Bible says that the Lord helps us when we trust him and we obey him. If there's not any obedience in your life, you're not going to see the supernatural. Here's lesson number two. See Jesus at work in your life. See Jesus at work in your life. No matter what your circumstances might be. And, and listen, I recognize that it's, it's, it's easy for me to say some of these things, but it's a lot tougher to put them into in, play. It's a lot easier uh, than acting on these things. Because when you're going through it, I mean, when you have stage four colon cancer, or when your life is falling apart, it is hard to look in that pile of rubble or in that fractured mirror and be able to see Jesus. But you have to. It's almost like you have to just gather yourself up and say, okay, wait a minute. I know that Jesus is in all of this mess. He knows what your circumstances are. 
He knows what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're going through. And really, that's where this miracle begins. In verse 1, it says, or John tells us, that as he went along, he saw the blind man, the man who had been blind since birth. Jesus saw this man. He sees you. The challenge is for us to see him. The challenge is for us to see that Jesus is at work in our lives. The blind man realized it. And let me tell you what the irony of this story is. The irony is, and I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack this, but the irony is that the blind man is the only one in the story who can actually see that Jesus is at work. Because his eyes are dark. His eyes, he's blind, but spiritually his eyes are wide open. And the other people in this story, they all have use of their physical eyes, but their spiritual eyes are wide shut. Okay. I think there are at least four things in this story that blinded the people in the story from seeing God at work. And I think that these are the same four things that keep us from seeing that Jesus is at work in our lives as well. So let me give them to you really quickly. The first one is opinions. Everybody's got them, don't they? Do you have some opinions? Do you, am I the only one? Because I got them. I have lots of opinions. In John 9, 2, the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the popular opinion of their day is that a person is sick because they've sinned. Think about it like with the flu. If you get a little bit of the flu, you know, just some crud, well, then you just sinned a little bit. But if you get the full-blown flu... Or or if you get bronchitis, well, then that means that you really did something bad that made God want to punish you. So, So the fact that these parents have a son who's been born blind, it just makes them in their culture assume that these parents must have done something really bad because God has cursed the child and he's cursed the parents with a blind child. And I'm I'm just going to say it and and keep moving here. But that same sentiment is popping up in today's modern medicine. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, you go back and read basically any major newspaper or go to any major news website in the country and just look back through it the last four or five days. Mentally handicapped children are a curse. Sickly children are a curse. And there are places in Europe that are figuring out how to weed them out of their society. I'm just saying it. But that, the popular opinion when Jesus was alive on this earth is that if you're sick, It's because you've sinned. That's the popular opinion, but they were wrong. 
And a lot of times, popular opinion is wrong today. In fact, listen, if you want to know how to be above average, just look at what the rest of the world does. Just look at most of the people around you and then do the exact opposite. Because most of the time, the herd is bad. Don't follow the herd. Sorry about that. Adderall just kicked in. Here's the second thing that keeps us from seeing that Jesus is at work in our, uh, in, in our lives, in our circumstances. It's doubt. Old-fashioned doubt. Can you imagine how excited this guy must have been to be healed? No, you can't because you're not, you, you're not blind. But, but he had to be super stoked up, right? I mean, he... He's seeing stuff for the very first time. And I'm sure that when he went home to his family and his friends, he's thinking, man, they may have balloons and a cake. This is going to be awesome. There's, there's going to be a party. But instead, they had a debate. Listen to verses 8 and 9 again. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he just looks like him. See, they doubted this. And how could they doubt? Lord, have mercy. This man has been blind. They don't need a medical journal for it. They know it to be the case. And now he's, he's healed. But see, for them and their world, it was impossible for blind people to see again. And so they doubted. Our limited idea of what is possible often blinds us to the fact that nothing is impossible with God. And see, some of you, if you, have your, your, you have yourself convinced that your marriage is too far gone. You are convinced that your relationship is just broken down with your kids beyond repair. Some of you have, have decided that the mountain of debt that you are under is just so great that it can't be overcome. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew nineteen twenty six. This is our memory verse for the week. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. With man, this is impossible. What's this? You just named the miracle. But with God, all things are possible. That's what miracles are all about. Man has his limitations, but with God, there are no limits. Is forgiveness possible? With God, yes. Is freedom from guilt and shame possible with God? Yes. Is, uh, is it possible that your marriage could be healed and restored with God? Yes. Nothing is impossible with God. The third thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus at work in our, our, our lives, our circumstances, is traditions. Traditions can blind us from seeing what Jesus is doing in our lives and in the world. Listen again to verse, well, actually, you don't have verse 16 in your notes. But it says, some of the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, they said, 
This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees are rule keepers. I, I like rules. I, I'm not always a rule keeper, especially when I play golf. James and I played golf yesterday, and we always play winner rules, you know, kick the ball back out in the fairway, use that foot wedge. But I wouldn't do that if I was playing with you, though, Jeremy. Maybe I would. No, no, I wouldn't. They liked for things to go the way they're supposed to. And their problem with Jesus it really, it goes back to an earlier miracle in the Gospel of John where Jesus healed a man who has been uh, paralyzed for 38 years. From birth, he's been paralyzed. Jesus healed him. But to them, Jesus healed him on the wrong day. Think about that. J- Jesus healed him on the wrong day. To them, Jesus was not keeping their rules and their traditions. Now, here's what I want you to see. God made the rules. He gives the rules. And he can do whatever he wants. You know, part of looking back at the Old Testament record, like, for example, the, um, the stories of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Just, just take Abraham's whole family tree. You have God blessing people that if you and I were God, we'd be like, I don't know why God is even doing this. I mean, Jacob is a liar and a cheat. And here's God at work in his lives. I I would just zap Jacob out of the world if I was God. But I'm not God. And God blesses him, even names his people after him. What do you do with a God like that? Well, you just say that our God cannot be put into a box. And certainly he will not be put into our traditions. And so while these guys looked around and thought, well, Jesus shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath day, Jesus just did what he wanted to because he's God. I mean, think about it like this. If if your kid broke his arm or his foot today because it's Sunday, and we refer to it as the Sabbath day, although the true Sabbath is on Saturday, Sunday's our day of worship. If your kid broke his arm or his foot, would you wait until Monday to take him to the doctor? If you do, that's just bad parenting. I mean, if you know this kid has a broken arm, you you take him right then. The problem with these religious leaders, and it's the same thing that is wrong with many of us religious people right here in this room, is that we just get stuck in our traditions. It was their traditions and their pride that kept them from seeing what Jesus was doing. Listen to me. Marriages have been ended. Careers have been flushed down the toilet. Families destroyed. Friendships ended. Businesses have failed just because someone could not say, I was wrong. 
just, just because someone was not willing to say, hey, hey, w- w- wait a minute, Some, something's not right here. Or, or maybe, maybe we're not doing this the right way. But these religious leaders, I mean, to the very end, to the very end of the Gospels, they're, they're not willing to see this God's way. They can only see it their way. And then here's the fourth thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus at work in our lives. It's fear. Good old-fashioned fear. Fear is a problem because it blinds us to God's word. Fear causes us to revert back to what we know. Fear causes us to revert back to other people's opinions. Fear causes us to to stop looking forward and stop looking at God. And and it causes us to look for immediate help right around us or immediate protection. It blinds us from the truth of God's word. This man had been born blind and now he's healed. And the Pharisees are so blind they can't see it. Now I want you to listen to this exchange. It's, it's in chapter 9 still, but it's in verses 20 through 23. We didn't read all of this, so I just want you to listen along. We know he is our son, the parents answered. So, so here's what's happened. The Pharisees have gone to this healed man's house, and they're questioning his parents. So we, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. That, that, that's, those, those are the facts. But how he can see now or how his eyes are opened, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, which is an interesting way of saying it, isn't it? He is our son, but he's not a little boy under our care and protection. So go and ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this. Here's the explanation. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him yourself. You see what's going on here? The the word has been put out that anyone who believes in this Jesus guy is going to be kicked out of their church. To, to be kicked out of their synagogue meant that they would lose their friends and their family. They're going to be ostracized from the community around them. The fear of the parents, it, it, it was real. Franklin Roosevelt was sworn in as president on March the 4th, 1933. The the world is on its way toward World War II. The United States was in an economic nosedive. 5,000 banks had failed. Nine million personal savings accounts had just been wiped out. On Sunday evening, March the 12th, 1933, just eight days after his inauguration... President Roosevelt spoke to the American people by radio. It was the first of several talks that he gave during his presidency. He didn't give a lot of these. He only gave a few because he didn't want people to get so used to them that they didn't pay attention. 
he called these fireside chats because he wanted people to, to feel like he was right there in their living room chatting with them by the fire. And he connected with the American people like no president ever had before. He was truly a man for the people. 60 million Americans tuned in for that first fireside chat. It was on a Sunday evening. People had, had already started to prepare for bed. They had turned down the lights. And think of the genius of this. Roosevelt knew what he was doing. People turned down their, their lights because the power grid was being lowered to try to conserve energy. And uh, Roosevelt knew when to come on and start speaking because he knew when it would start getting dark in most of the United States. And, and when it got dark, that's when people really began to get afraid. You know, like if, you, if you're worried about something, if you're busy during the day, you can kind of do enough things to sort of push it out of your mind. But when you lay down at night and you're in the bed, lights are out, and you're just laying there looking at the ceiling, that's when the fears rush in. Well, when it started to get dark, that's when the, that's when the people began to hear the president's voice. And he talked to them like, like they were his equals. He talked about banking and what had happened in banking and what was going on with the economy. And he talked about how he was going to fix things. He talked to them about his plan. And he reinforced his inaugural speech in that famous line, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that first chat set the course for a a new direction in in America because it gave people a new perspective. You see, part of this man's miracle was that he gained a new perspective. Rather than just accepting the hopelessness of his blindness, he decided to see things in a different way. Look at Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. Such a great verse. This really ought to be your memory verse. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Listen, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. For some of you today, your miracle needs to begin with a new perspective. You need to realize that God is your refuge and your strength. And then here's lesson number three. Trust Jesus with your life. Obey him even when you don't understand See Jesus at work in your life and in your circumstances, even when it's hard to see him. But then trust Jesus with your life. See, the purpose of these miracles, it's to lead us to trust our lives to Jesus. It's so that we can see who Jesus really is, that he's God. In the Gospel of John, John uses miracles as signs. He even refers to them as signs. What do signs do? Signs give us direction. They guide us. Um, they, they give us information. They explain things. 
Jesus' miracles are signs that guide us toward who he is. The the miracles just show us that Jesus is God. And if he is God, we can trust him as Lord and Savior. That means we can be forgiven of our sins. That means that in life we can get a do-over, a mulligan. Don't even go on our golf scorecard. You just get to start over. At the beginning of the story, when the man was asked who healed Jesus, he just said the man they called Jesus. So in the beginning, the blind man just sees Jesus as as a man, maybe a good man, but he doesn't see him as God. But then later in the story, when he's talking about Jesus, he refers to Jesus as a prophet. So you can tell that he's, he, he's learning more about who Jesus is. He goes from saying, Jesus is a man, the man they call Jesus, to being willing to say, he's not just a man, he's, he's a prophet, maybe even a great prophet. But at the end of the story, listen, after Jesus and the blind man had been separated for a while, and you have the Pharisees doing their investigation and all this sort of thing, Jesus and the man reconnect. Jesus has heard that this man has been thrown out of his community. He's been thrown out of his synagogue. So Jesus searched for him and found him. And this is what he said to the man. Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. He said, listen, Mr. Prophet, I'm willing to believe whatever you tell me at this point. Because I've seen how great and how awesome you are. You've earned the right for me to believe whatever you say. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord. He calls him Lord. I believe. And he worshiped him. See what happened? The light came on. Not, Not just in his eyes, but in his heart. He's realized that Jesus is more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a good man. He is God. And when you know that Jesus is God, there is only one real response, and that's to worship him. That means that he believed in Jesus, and now he's committed his life to following him. Many of us live our lives... Believing in Jesus, but never really committing ourselves to him. I mean, some of you here today, you've committed your life to believing in Jesus. But you're just not committed to him. You've never really trusted him. I mean, when it comes right down to it, I mean, when it hits the fan in your life. You default to your own strength, to the strength of those around you, but not Jesus. 
And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to really commit to him. To say, Jesus, I don't just believe in you today. I I trust you. And I'm committed to you. Let me offer that prayer right now. It's just every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to commit yourself to Jesus today in a real and powerful way, then just say, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. I believe in you. Maybe I've believed in you for a long time, but I've never really committed to you until today. Today I give you my life 100%. I'm not holding anything back. Thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me. Before we close in prayer, just still with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for for my friend Nelson who's having this important surgery this week. But I, I want to pray for you too. I want to pray for whatever you're struggling with, whatever the sickness might be in your life. Maybe it's heart disease. Maybe it's a broken heart. We have a couple ladies in our church who've lost their father this week. That hurts. I want to pray for them. And again, whatever you're struggling with right now. Heavenly Father, in, in the best way I know how, I just offer up these, these hurts, these concerns, the, these needs, the broken heart, the diseased heart, the, the mind and the life that's racked with fear and worry and doubt for that person who, who struggles so much with anxiety Whatever the hurt, whatever the disease, whatever the pain, whatever the need, Lord, we offer these up to you. We ask for for trust that you're at work in these circumstances. Help us to see that you're at work in these circumstances and help us to trust you with them that, that you're going to work these things out in a way that brings honor and glory to your great name. And Jesus, it's in your great name we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Amen. God bless you, God.